welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information around the Washington National Guard. I'm Sarah Morris, and on today's episode, Jason and I sit down with Lieutenant Colonel Bruce Simpson with Task Force Medical Surge. In this episode, we talk about the mission for Task Force Medical Surge, Lieutenant Colonel Simpson's unique COVID experience, and the way ahead. Enjoy. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's WA National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. Okay. So good afternoon. Um, this is Sarah, and today I'm joined by Jason. Hello, glad to be here. And we are talking to Lieutenant Colonel Bruce Simpson, and he's with the Washington Air Guard. And um, if you'll go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. Hi, Sarah. <clears throat> yeah, Bruce Simpson. I've been with the Air Guard since 2008, and I'm currently helping with Task Force Medical Surge as a deployed guardsman supporting the Washington State Department of Health with a variety of COVID response mission areas. And then what is med surge? What, what does that entail? So Task Force Medical Surge is a Department of Health team. So it's, it started out roughly half guard and half uh, Department of Health and helping with things like delivering emergency ventilators across the state and hospital beds and doing these strike team visits where we would help rural communities and tribes understand how isolation and quarantine works or maybe helping them with that. Um, It's all been COVID related. And um, doing site assessments for, again, rural communities and tribes that and think of things like migrant workers and the camps that they would have and long-term care facilities and memory care units. There's been, uh, you can probably imagine Department of Health has had a lot of requests, a lot of taskings to help because Department of Health is most closely related to public health but they also relate to everyone else that is dealing with, could be behavioral health, it could be uh, addiction. There's Department of Health has their fingers in a lot of the pies. So they said help. And so the military sent folks and I became one of them to come and help. And it's been uh, other duties as assigned. It didn't really matter what career field you came from. If you had a medical background, great. But if, if you didn't, There were things in logistics and operations that they just needed uh, people that could understand uh, how a good organizational structure worked and how a good team is put together. So I've been part of a pretty small unit. It's probably been less than 10 guardsmen helping with task force medical surge the whole time. And we've hovered between six and 10 and, but we've done a lot with those people. And obviously we're on a Department of Health team. 
Great. And then from my understanding, you've also been doing COVID response in your civilian capacity. Is that correct? Right. I got a few irons in the fire. In addition to my civilian job, I work at a university in Ellensburg. I am in the military as a traditional guardsman. And then I'm also a member of a FEMA slash Health and Human Services disaster response team, especially related to mass fatality events or anything that is not just property destruction, but uh, things that impact humans. So over the years, I've, I was in Hurricane, I was in Florida for Hurricane Irma, I was in Puerto Rico for Hurricane Maria. For COVID, I've done the I've uh, been involved with a cruise ship quarantine, the Grand Princess cruise ship that was out at sea and there was COVID exposure there and they came in to, to port in San Diego. So we turned Marine Corps Air Station Miramar uh, into a isolation and quarantine facility using all the base lodging quarters for that. And with 3,100 people on a cruise ship, uh, you can imagine it takes a lot of logistics to give everyone their own room and have them fed and answer all their questions and have medical needs and pharmacy needs met. So there's a lot of logistics there. Unfortunately, on a cruise ship, you have a fair number of older people, so not everyone lived. So that was my first exposure to, okay, this pandemic really is killing people. And so I was directly involved with that. And that was in the February timeframe, kind of January, February. And then uh, March, April timeframe, I was also with the FEMA team and I went to New York City to help with the pandemic there with unfortunately a lot of people dying, like 700 plus people a day just in New York City dying from the pandemic there. So help the uh, Office of the Chief Medical Examiners in New York with uh, overwhelming needs there. And we helped turn a, a warehouse in Brooklyn into a large cold storage facility uh, for fatalities that would come in and be tracked. And uh, funeral homes would also pick up there. So it was a large operation to is basically mass fatality management. So that obviously hit home in terms of the seriousness of the pandemic. And just trying to stay clean in New York City was really, it, mentally it was really tough. You just, throughout your life you go through not having to worry about, you know, do I press the elevator button with my elbow and I have to keep washing my hands and Oh, I just walked through an area. I forgot my mask. I got to just all the things in New York. It was just um, that feeling on steroids because the city was so severely impacted. And it was strange to walk around a normally bustling city and to see it like a ghost town. I remember we got a short break, so we walked over to Times Square to see it. And I had been there before just during normal times. And I remember seeing people take, they're taking selfies and they're standing in the middle of the intersection, 42nd and Broadway, because there's just absolutely no traffic. So you could tell how the city was impacted by that. And I, I really, 
how do I how do I say this? I don't belong in New York. Like I'm not a New Yorker in terms of the, the city, but I absolutely love New Yorkers. I worked with a lot of firemen. I love their attitude. I love their can-do spirit. And so I will never probably live in New York, but I want New York to exist. I love New York. <laughs> um, so, and then in June, I started with Task Force Med Surge. So as a traditional guardsman being activated on COVID support orders. And I came to the Olympia Tumwater area to help with Department of Health and quickly found myself doing everything from flying around in Black Hawk helicopters, delivering ventilators to tribes in rural counties to um, helping give advice. And I learned a lot about how HVAC systems work and how you can set up isolation and quarantine and understanding the human dynamics that, that go with the pandemic, like PPE only helps so much, human behavior has to be addressed. And that's really the key to it. I remember hearing one physician say, do you realize that if everyone in the world isolate or they quarantine themselves for two weeks and we all emerge from our cocoons, there would be no more COVID. Because the virus can't survive indefinitely. It has to find new hosts. And that I just remember that because it's like, yes, we technically have the ability to stop COVID in its tracks if we all just put our lives on hold for two weeks. But it's not realistic. We have to still live as human beings in a society. And so COVID continues to, to be a problem. I hope the trend lines are... Are, are permanent and that they're going to things will keep going down. But new the new strains worry the folks in public health because no one really knows what the, the rates are going to look like if um, the new strains make a, a big impact or not. And so I've done a variety of things related to isolation and quarantine. And then I had to take a break in September time frame to go do a couple of weeks with my FEMA job to go down to Oregon for the wildfires, where unfortunately, um, I don't know if you saw the fires that went through the Talent area and Ashford, uh, Ashland, Medford, that, that part of the state, but it was like a blowtorch that went through the middle of town. And uh, there were, uh, it, it impacted, it created, devastating impacts. So I was there for a few weeks and then I've come, I came back to Med Surge and I've uh, been here ever since. And I've kind of put my university job on hold and I hope to return in September if we can maybe have a normal academic year and I can resume teaching and helping students. Wow, sounds like you've been very, very busy this last, this last year. That's, a, that's amazing. Um, the last time we spoke was in July when you were at um, St. Martin's University doing a, an exercise, I guess, with uh, other Department of Health people um, in setting up emergency isolation unit. And uh, I think it was like 30 or so beds that you were able to um pop up at a at a moment's notice you're able to just um 
yeah, just together with the with the Department of Health, set up in a gymnasium, like 30 beds in a matter of hours. Um, so that at the, the time it was an exercise. You're working out the kinks, you know, trying to make it more efficient and better. Um, have you have you had to use that in real life since 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 we last spoke? Has there yeah, been another... yeah. What you're talking about is the 30 bed isolation and quarantine package, and we haven't had to deploy that as described in our like mission. What we ended up doing is creating a permanent isolation and quarantine facility in the Olympia area, basically converting a a summer camp, like a youth summer camp, if you send your kids to camp in the summer, taking one of those, because it's kind of ideal for isolation and quarantine. There's cabins on the lake, and it's a great place to do that. And so for the folks that would have normally needed the, the mobile unit, they ended up coming to the permanent unit. And uh, a lot of the guests that we've had have been Department of Corrections work release inmates. And the, if you know how work release uh, works, it's, it's right before full release. So someone could be incarcerated for a short period of time or a long period of time. They work themselves to work release and then they can go work during the day. So they may go work at Home Depot or someplace. They've got a GPS ankle bracelet on and then they come to sort of a Department of Corrections halfway house at night. They check in with one of the DOC Department of Corrections staff there, and that's where they spend the night. They don't can't really go home. Well, so when some of these places were having COVID outbreaks, they were still property of the state. You know, they couldn't go home because they weren't fully released yet, and they weren't they didn't want to send them back to you know, prison because they had worked themselves out of prison and they were now in work release. So what do we do with them? So we've had a lot of, we've had over a hundred work release inmates recovering from COVID at our isolation and quarantine facility, which is this converted summer camp. So that's what ended up being the INQ isolation and quarantine solution. And it's worked pretty well so far because the, the mobile thing is, is hard to sustain. You can do it for a little while, but gymnasiums get old and it's it's really tough to to do for a long period of time. So I'm glad that we didn't have to do the the mobile ones. Mm -hmm. Um, You said you're like a, a unit of 10 individuals around that. Is that is that correct? There's there's been uh, between six and 10 guardsmen that have mm -hmm. Periodic or have have consistently been on the med surge team. Okay, um, so I'm kind of curious, like what kind of impact have have you had um, since since this all started? Since you guys have been um, like like what kind of numbers are you tracking? Are you? Uh... Oh sure. So we've delivered. Um, I actually have some of the numbers. I wish I had the slide up, but over 700 ventilators to almost every county in the state to hospitals and places that need ventilators. Obviously, you probably understand that when you, when you have a respiratory illness, breathing is difficult. So having uh, extra oxygen and um, sometimes 
powered ventilators can be the difference between life and death. So ventilators are important and they're not really cheap. We have, when we're not out and about doing things, our offices are at a warehouse with millions of dollars of ventilators in inventory. And there's a strategic national stockpile of ventilators that, that where we get them from. And so those are things that hospitals typically don't have the money to buy, or it's just, hospitals are typically staffed for what the current needs are. It's hard for hospitals to have this big surge capacity. So delivering ventilators, um, when it was really, when they were desperate, we would fly them there because if we had to go to the northeast part of the state, uh, the guard was instrumental in flying us there to do that. And hospital beds are the same way. When you see people in a hospital bed with the, the electric controls so they can sit up in bed, part of a respiratory illness is uh, being able to sit up it's because it's easier to breathe. If you are lying down, if you just fill a, a gymnasium full of cots, that only helps so much because you can physically breathe easier if you're sitting up in bed. So having something as simple as a hospital bed is really important. So I think it's over 600 hospital beds that we've delivered. And then going out to help communities with, hey, how do we do an isolation and quarantine facility? We've got our fairgrounds, what could we do here? And so we go out, we do technical assistance visits. I've been working with the Quinault tribe recently. They have postponed their tribal elections for two years. Well, this would be the second year if they didn't do it this year. And they put it off last year because of COVID, but they really need to do it. So they traditionally have up to 700 people come to the reservation for this big three-day meeting where they also do elections and new people that are inducted into the tribe. And that's really important to the how their tribe functions. So they reached out to us and said, how can we do this safely? So I've been a part of their team for doing that. I never expected, you know, a year ago, I didn't think I'd be doing that, but that's what I've been doing. And they're great. They like the integrated military Department of Health approach. They're just happy for the help. And we've had we've had over 70 of those types of in-person visits all around the state to, wow. to do that. That's quite an impact for such a, a small group of individuals, you know. <laughs> That's it is. Yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah, so I guess with all of the different types of responses you've done throughout this last year, how has experiencing all of that changed your perspective on COVID? And do you, with all of the information that you have, what do you see as the path forward, at least for your task force? Well, I think if you kind of use a flood as an analogy, the guard typically will deploy, will do sandbags, will help with the, when the floodwaters rise. And then as the floodwaters recede, the guard recedes as well. And that's what should happen here. Eventually, the state uh, won't be overwhelmed with COVID. And then there's not a need for guardsmen, whether that's immunizations or what we're doing. In fact, we have given some of our 
support to the vaccination efforts. So we've helped with mobile vaccination sites and helped with some of the permanent or the yeah, the, the permanent vaccination sites that are set up throughout the state. But that's been less of our primary mission compared to isolation and quarantine. My guess, <laughs> I guess my guess is as good as anyone's, but my guess is by by mid by late spring, midsummer, I would think there would be less of a need uh, for what's going on. I am surprised that we keep continuing to have the isolation and quarantine numbers that we are running into because the trend lines were like, hey, you know, people are getting vaccinated and the death count is going down. So you know, we can probably work ourselves out of a mission. And then, and we did have a reduction in the isolation and quarantine folks we were taking care of. And then it went back up again. You know, we've got like a dozen folks now that we're taking care of. So I don't really know. I know personally, I, I, I can help until September. And then I would like to get back to my normal life and hopefully we can have a normal academic year at the university. And so I'm willing to do that. I, I feel fortunate to be one of the members that got vaccinated early just by being in the military. And also my spouse and kids have the option of as military dependents can, you know, of doing that. I don't really have much tolerance for the people that don't follow science and whatever deep state conspiracy theories that they subscribe to. And, you know, it's fine to have a vaccination concern, but it's not fine to work against the greater good to come up with these whacked out theories that no one has actually researched to see if they're true. And so if people give in to fear, uncertainty and doubt, it's just going to extend the situation that we're in and potentially make it worse. So that's the part where I like, I don't care if people are inconvenienced by wearing masks. I don't care if people are inconvenienced by their lives being their life being turned upside down because the same thing happened to people that were going through the 1918 pandemic and the Black Plague. And this is not the first time that humans have had to do that. It's unfortunate, but if we act and use collective intelligence to get through this, we will do well. And I'm slightly concerned, like if there's going to be a COVID-22 or a COVID-24, you know, I, I don't know what the future brings there, but the precedent that we set now is going to be important. And the lessons learned could potentially be used in the not too distant future if another type of pandemic uh, comes around and if we all have to get vaccinated again. So I guess it's fine to have that type of fear, uncertainty and doubt, but don't manufacture the, uh, the fear, uncertainty and doubt that I see going on. And so personally, I don't like the polarization that the country is current, currently experiencing. It works against us and it works against um, the world. We can't do that. So this is a plea for, for people to use sound judgment, logic and reasoning to behave in the most appropriate manner. 
And then what is your civilian occupation? I think we skipped that part. But you work at Central Washington University? I do. I am an adjunct professor and I teach in the College of Business, a lot of professional development courses. And then I also help with employer relations, like career services for helping students and faculty connect with employers and industry for internships and jobs and capstone projects to help students go from college to career. Awesome. Jason, do you have anything? I don't. I just want to say thank you for all that you've done this past year. It sounds like you've had such a large impact on, on the greater good. And I can't, I guess, give you enough accolades. <laughs> oh, no, I appreciate it. I, I, I appreciate you inviting me to, to talk. And I know you can edit out whatever you want. So that's why I decided to talk about personal feelings on polarization and fear, uncertainty and doubt, and all that. I don't know if you can use any of that, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a big picture guy and I'm, I'm always looking at what are the foundations that create whatever it is that you see. Everything is supported by a foundation. Things don't just exist on their own. And so I don't like the erosion of the foundation that is, is occurring. And it hopefully isn't going to be a permanent thing. Things go in cycles a lot of times. But this is, the, the virus only goes so far. The rest of it, we, we create ourselves. And so that's the part I just wanted to try to impart to people is that um, we're more, more capable than we think of. And we don't view ourselves maybe as strong as we are. We can do a lot. You just have to, you have to have an element of trust. And, and I don't like that the, the government is not as trusted as it has been in previous decades because the government is still human beings. And I don't see a deep state. I don't, no one has ulterior motives. I just, I, I, I don't really see any sort of conspiracy. And so if you trust me, then please trust others in government. Everyone's doing a, a really good job. At the, at the very least, they're doing the best job that they can. Agreed. You won't find any argument from Jason or, Jason or I. <laughs> we are, well, I'm half vaccinated and he's fully vaccinated. Oh, I get All mine right. next week, my second one. Oh, okay, there you go. So we're both half vaccinated. Um, <laughs> right. Well, I want to echo what Jason said, because you've certainly seen it all through this last year uh, with everything that you've you've been experiencing, whether it be through the guard or through your FEMA uh, team experiences. And it's it's very uh, heartwarming to hear that someone, you know, cares enough to do all of that. That's a that's asking a lot, I think, and and we appreciate it for sure. And we're we're glad you were able to talk to us, so we can uh, give you all the props that you deserve for sure, and your team uh, for everything that they've been doing as well. All right. Well, no, I appreciate it. And the job that you're doing is helping the human experience. When people listen to other people talk, that's part of what separates us from the animal kingdom in many ways. Is our level of communication. So thank